0: I'm Muslim, I'm South Asian, and I'm brown, (laughs) man. These three things are non-negotiable, and I'm proud of it.
1: There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Now, someone who would know all about Asian players is Z. Hello, Z.
2: How are you doing, Apu?
1: Very well, thank you very much. Kevil, meet Z. Z, meet
2: Kevil. Hey, Kevil, how are you doing? Yes, I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well, thanks. Uh, Apu, thanks for inviting me on today.
1: No problem. Okay, I mean, a couple of things. One, for those who haven't guessed it so far, Kevil, we still haven't met, even though we've recorded several shows together, right?
3: Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a long time coming. Our our meet up
1: because we've been doing all of these conversations on Zoom. Z, you are our third musketeer. So moving forward, we'll be hearing a lot more
2: from you. No, I'm actually excited to see um, see how we progress and uh, what we can do together.
1: Okay, so for our listeners, Z is better known on Twitter and especially on Instagram as at Desi Ballers. Zee, would you like to tell us a little bit about at Desi Ballers, what they do and well, how you got into it?
2: Yeah, sure. So in a nutshell, uh, Desi Ballers is a platform covering South Asians on the professional football scene and certain levels of semi-pro as well, mainly in the UK and Europe, but also touching on North America as well. So it all started back in 2010 when I was working as a journalist uh, in the South Asian media uh, working for a weekly newspaper. But for me, I was always gathering information that was time-sensitive and there was no platform or place to put that information. So I started up a blog uh, it's named Daisy Ballers in 2010, and that got a decent following. I was updating that every day. Um, I also had to uh, then create a Facebook page and Twitter so I could get it out there in early days of social media before the big boom. Um, and then I progressed forward into making, turning it into a website in twenty thirteen um and covering football, having interviews with players, doing match reports, pretty much what you see on mainstream websites, but covering the South Asian scene in the UK and Europe. It was an attempt to show that we had visibility on the pitch and we did exist. Because uh, at that moment and even now everyone talks about the lack of uh, Asian in the game or they'll quote statistics at you, like they'll say there's ten or twelve pro but no one can tell you their names. So I wanted to combat that by creating a platform where you could actually visibly see these players and not only see them, but actually see them perform. So if you were to visit my Instagram page right now, where I'm very active, you'll see goals, you'll see a few reels, highlights, you'll see the players in their kits. And I think that's quite important to see visual representation and ultimately what, it, what I want it to be and going forward, especially with platforms like your, yours as well, is for us to be spreading the word on a regular basis because the more we see it, the more we will believe it. And the second point is also that when you go to the gym, if you only ever did one workout and then saw your progression a year later, you'll see nothing. But if you were to do your workouts every single week and stick to a program, you'll see the gradual improvement and also you'll see visible progress. So that's kind of the plan here with Dirty with Ballers, to do something on a regular basis where you will see progress happening on the pitch, almost like a storyline or narrative during the season. Uh, but yeah, that's what Desi Borders is in a nutshell, but it's no, it's by no way a perfect product yet. Um, and I'd like to see more platforms out there who are doing the same so we can kind of be a positive and, and progressive in terms of combating the issues and, and, and the kind of, I guess, negativity that surrounds uh, South Asians in the game.
1: OK, fantastic. And so just to can you just t- tell everyone and perhaps spell out the the handle so that people can follow you?
2: Sure. So on Instagram, it's uh, D-E-S-I-B-A-L-L-R-S. And on Twitter, it's d s i b a l l e r s. So there's the E missing in the Instagram page only because I couldn't get the handle in time what somebody else has pinched it yeah i think they might have seen that i was trying to do movements on other platforms they might have taken it so it is what it is
1: we need to send the boys around i think
2: we can arrange that <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're kidding yeah. just in case anyone's listening <laughs> who knows <what?
3: laughs> I mean, these, yeah we forget we're recording sometimes
1: <laughs> i mean these days people get triggered by all sorts don't they so um I don't know
3: what... Oh, let's not let's not discuss <laughs> free speech now. That'll get me triggered. Oh god.
1: <laughs> oh boy, we, we probably should, but probably do it a little bit more constructively in the future. Okay, so how long did you say you've been doing this for?
2: So Desi Ballers has been around since 2010. So July this year was a decade. I had a quiet celebration due to lockdown, but but yeah, it's been going 10 years. But I, I've been involved in. Kind of covering football especially in the South Asian community for around 15 years now so it was just an extension of what I was in previously but I still enjoy it and I still get a kick out of it and um, there's so much good that's happening it's worth shouting about and putting out there.
1: Okay and do you, have you seen progress because in my mind it seems the amount of Asians that are involved in football as far as I can tell has been pretty much the same
2: for ages. I think it depends what your ideal progression is. So if I was to say, from my point of view, I have seen progress and I'll explain that. Say 15 years ago, we had a handful of players in the professional scene who are barely making it onto the bench for professional clubs. At the moment, the moment, in 2020, we've had players who've gone through the football life cycle of having gone through the academy, into the pro scene and into retirement and having been involved in, in, in football, Across their kind of their life so far and being involved in the game, whether that's a professional or semi-professional level, we didn't have that 15 years ago. Where players would, you'd have players who would get to academy level, maybe get that first pro contract, maybe get one game or two games, and then you never hear from them again. But there's been a change there, when we're now seeing players who are not only part of squads but actually getting on the pitch as well. For me, that's progress because it's about visibility. Are the numbers great? No. Is that something that we need to work on? Yes. But we can also look at it in a different kind of way as well. Now, we all know the statistic that 0.5% of players who enter the academy system make it as professionals. So we should pay respect to the handful of South Asians who have actually made it in the game as professionals and are part of that 0.5% club, you know? So if we look at things in that kind of light, then yeah, I'd say there's been progress the other part of progress is this platform that we're talking on right now 15 years ago 10 years ago we would have to wait for a particular agenda to appear in the media to talk about South Asian football it'd be a footnote in in a news broadcast or it'd be part of either kick out week of action or if some incident took place on the pitch and then would there would be an afterthought in the newsroom saying we should do something about Asian football now we have the opportunity to talk about it on any platform that we like. Hence the reason you've created our game too. I've had Desi Ballers and we have platforms now that we can talk about the game on a, on a regular basis and we can seek that news more than we could 10, 15 years ago where we are reliant on limited media. Now the media is huge and big and including social media as well. We're using the best. We're using a platform where all the noise is in the most positive and progressive way and that's the way I I see things I think yeah there has been progress in how we're getting our news how we're putting out our views as well and also success although limited on the pitch as well
1: okay so I know you follow the men's game you follow the women's game you've got an idea about academy prospects as well and as you mentioned previously it's it's the UK football scene it's European it's North American Give us, give us three players, male or female, anywhere in the world to look out for that you think will, in their own relative terms, will do big things in the coming season.
2: Three players. The first one would be to keep an eye on Sarpreet Singh. So we all know that he played for Bayern Munich last season. He had a few appearances for the first team. He won the second team. Now he's come from, he's born and bred in New Zealand. He's part of the New Zealand national team as well. Uh, this season, he's gone out on loan to FC Nuremberg for, for, the, for the year. Um, and that's just to get um, more game time and get used to the German way of doing things, I guess. But that's definitely one to look out for. Second one would be Hamza Chowdhury. Now, Hamza Chowdhury is quite an important member of the Leicester City team. He's the understudy to Ndidi. And I'm, I would say, if he wasn't there at Leicester City doing the holy midfield role that he's doing... Hamza would get more game time. Uh, whenever he's been on the pitch, he's been quite impressive to watch. He's uh, always scored a great goal against uh, Newcastle at the start of the year as well. So he's the one a lot of people are tipping to make an England team. I guess he would need more game time, but he's got the promise and uh, he's got the uh, ability to rock it with the big at the top. And he's part of the important member of the Leicester team that's currently in Europe and almost got into Champions League last season. And a third player, I would say, trying to wrap my brains here.
1: Sorry, I did put you on the spot a little bit.
2: <laughs> There's a, if we're going to go into Europe, in Norway, there is a player called Etazaz Hussein. So Etazaz Hussein plays for a team called Molder. Most people know, may have heard of it, uh, that club because Oleg Gunnar used to manage them before he took the Cardiff City role. Uh, a few years ago. And this, as I was saying, was also part of the Manchester United youth team as well. Um, he got a pro contract there, but didn't make any appearances for the first team. Returned back to Norway, and he's won three titles there. And this year, Molda, they won the Norwegian league last season, and then they're, the, they're in the playoffs for the Champions League. So their first leg took place this week, finished free all. If they win uh, the second leg, they'll be into the group stages of the Champions League. So, it definitely will be worth keeping out, uh, keep an eye out on Eftizad Hussein as well uh, in Norway. Cool. And a way our listeners can do that is by following
1: Desi Ballers on Instagram and Twitter, right?
2: Absolutely. We'll, we'll endeavour to our uh, best to make sure that you're kept up to date with the progress of those players and, and many more as well.
1: I
3: just wondered where you get all the information from because I, I obviously follow the Twitter account and I find it remarkable about the amount of coverage of, of just Asian footballers around the world. I mean... I've seen Z tweet from uh, about players in New Zealand, as he said, Germany, and some of the players that have been tweeted about as well. I've never even heard of them. And I think the platform that he has to kind of bring this information to light, like we would see on Sky News about transfers or about things happening in mainstream football, I think it's just such an important job. So I just kind of wondered, you know, where he gets the information from how he got into everything in, like to begin with and kind of where he sees this going, moving forwards in the next, I don't know, a year or two.
1: I think if he told you, he'd have to kill you.
2: <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kevin, that's a really good question. And if I can take a couple of minutes, I'll explain. I'll try to do it in a nutshell. But how I get the information now is purely because of 15 years of hard work. Um, and that includes um, the, t- the, the, the things that I learned when I was first, when I first got involved in journalism from the age of 18, uh, I've just honed those skills over a period of time. So I don't work full-time in journalism now, but certain things that you learn, uh, the knowledge that you acquire, it stays with you. Um, so I've always been you know, quite good at researching. I've made really good contacts in the game, who I've stayed in touch with over the years. And they're contacts that I, I value a lot because they're also friends as well and we it's it's about keep maintaining good relationships with people but a lot of it is pure you know shit hard work it is hours spent searching certain websites even football manager looking for certain names you come across drop me a message and say keep an eye on this guy and also when when it comes to players who are in the academy i i have i have a rule that i don't really focus too much on academy players while they're in the academy, and the reason being is in the past, if we go back, say the early 2000s, where this issue did come to light, few years after that report by the Asian Football Forum, uh, Asians can't play football. There was a focus on 15, 16-year-old kids like the likes of Zeshraman, Adnan Ahmed, uh, and Odeintel, who they were seen as the kind of saviors of our communities, right? And that put a huge spotlight on players, and if then our perception was that these are the guys that are going to make it. Now, you can imagine being 15 and 16 and feeling the pressure of trying to make it in a game where the chances are very limited. And on the other side, you're, you're carrying, for some people, it will be like a burden on your shoulders that if you don't make it, then you've let yourself down. But not only that, you let down your community as well who are banking on you to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, taking lessons from that, there's players that are in the academy level at the moment. You also interviewed Rohan Lutra's dad in a previous episode, but Sonny. Now Rohan I knew about from a few years ago, but I was just waiting to see how his career would progress. And when he got to that pro, that was the moment thinking, yeah, they made it and it's worth talking about that player. Now that's that's gonna be that's kinda of my mentality of how I, I treat the game, because there's more information out there than 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 I would put out, but that's only because there's a responsibility of the kind of information we're putting out as well. Because um, I feel there's a duty of care, especially when the numbers are so small. I want to not protect, but actually be real with what football is really like. Like, Kev, you know yourself who's been in the system. If you suddenly have added attention and pressure, it can detract from what you're trying to achieve. And you kind of want not want to put too much pressure and distraction on players. But I see there's a change, and you mentioned what's going to happen next year or two if you go on certain uh, Instagram pages like Rising Ballers and, and Secret Scout, they put a huge attention on upcoming players. Yeah. And when I mean upcoming players, I'm talking about players who are in the academy. Maybe that's an attitude shift that we are seeing in, in football where kids coming up in the system now are more confident. And we've seen certain players who've made confident moves like uh, Jaden Sancho and, and a few others who actually rejected the, the parent club they were at. In, in England and gone abroad to play maybe there's a level of confidence in the young players that are coming up now maybe that attention doesn't phase them as much but when it comes to South Asian players there's still a level of responsibility because we want to see the volume increase at least for my part I don't want to be responsible for putting added attention where it's not necessary
3: yeah I think I think everything you mentioned there is absolutely spot on and just going back to when you said about being part of a system and being a young Asian player absolutely there is a undertone and a very indirect level of pressure not just the responsibility that you have to kind of carry your culture's name through the system to try and make it but also as well um, with your family like to be an Asian player within a system there comes a a whole load of pressures and uh, trials and tribulations with it as well and I think having that duty of care as you said to not highlight players too too young so they can just focus on the football is a really, really important thing. So fair play to you. That's, that's really good.
2: But just on that point, Carol, someone was telling me recently about this how academies and pro clubs look at players, especially when they're young and they're going out on loan. Now, I won't mention any names probably because it's totally in confidence, but say certain clubs, mm. when they're looking at a player to take on loan, they will look at his uh, social media following mm. to see if that would bring more attention on that club. For example, if a League One, League Two club that you know got a modest-sized crowd coming in, if they take on a 16-, 17-, 18-year-old player on loan from Chelsea or one of the big club, they'll see, will this guy, uh, this player, bring us more attention uh, because of who, who follows him that come down to that cold commercial aspect and commercial viability of a player that is also part of, of football as well because football is a product so as much as we want it to be holistic as a game it's also a commercial entity and that's, with, um, that, that, that's, that's just the kind of the quagmire that we're in when it comes to football.
3: And it's interesting you say that as well, mate, because when I was at a, a pro club for, for three and a half years and I actually had a conversation with um, one of my coaches at the time, they said, oh, you know, we're desperate to get you into the first team or near to the first team because you're an Asian player. And not only for yourself, but for, for the Asian fan base in the area, what it would do for, for the club financially and for yourself in terms of becoming a, a figure in the game as an Asian player, it would, it would do wonders because... What what clubs don't understand is that any Asian star who makes it in another sport besides cricket, I mean, obviously, we know cricket cricketers are worshipped, Asian cricketers, but there's an untapped market, and I've said this in previous podcasts, there's an untapped market for Asian players in football in terms of marketing revenue, advertising, sponsorship, and the amount of injection a club could get from having or producing an Asian player and pushing the sponsorships and pushing the marketing side of it for that player... There could be so much financial gain from it, but we just haven't seen it yet. So it will take one player to come through and break the system for us to see the benefits that Asian players can have in in football financially. And it comes back down to that. I mean, if you look at players like Jisung Park, for example, at Man United, he's a vastly talented player, but when he joined the club, it was well documented and known that Man United signed him to appeal to their um, North Asian and Eastern Asian fan bases. So yeah, Football and players, especially, you know, Asian players have been used as a marketing tool in the past, but there also comes a lot of benefits with that as well.
1: I'll be honest. One of the things that maybe, look, something that I think we will need to visit at some point in a future episode is the level of support we give our own community or our own community gives players, etc. Maybe because in terms of football, especially, there's so few British Asians that... They don't seem to even make a ripple. I mean, we've got Yandanda, who's doing quite well in in the championship at the moment. I know we've got Hamza Chowdhury in the Premier League. There's Neil Taylor, but obviously with his name and his looks, and maybe not everyone is aware that he's Asian. But you just don't hear Asians talking about them as oh look at them. And I can't even remember. I mean, uh, see, maybe you would remember this differently when Michael Chopra was was scoring goals for fun, especially in the Championship. I I don't know if there was a level of interest around his ethnicity generally. Do you remember? Or within the
2: community? There was a a huge... um, When Michael Chopper was coming through, there was a lot of expectation on him being um, kind of the one that was going to break out and break through for our community. So much so that even in the Indian national team were interested. And that's what we're talking about when he was 16, 17. This is before he's made his breakthrough uh, at a professional level. There was so much uh, expectation on him being that guy who was going to break through. And there were certain interviews that Michael did back then. In retrospect, you kind of understand why. But he... Almost didn't want to talk about the ethnicity side of things. He did say, you know, I'm 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 British or I'm English or something like that. I'm just paraphrasing. It was almost like he was turning his back on this committee that had so much hopes for him. And then when he dropped down to the championship that was in the 2006-2007 season, where he's he scored he scored about 20 odd goals in that season, very really good season for Cardiff City. The attention kind of went away because they felt like he turned their back or. The perception was that this Asian player has turned his back on his own community, therefore why should we support him? And that was kind of harsh because you can imagine at the time in context, he's at Newcastle where they've got Alan Shearer playing and they had three or four other strikers ahead in the pecking order. You're trying to break through there, and I think some, you know, Kev, you would understand this as well. Could you imagine having those guys ahead of you? And then you're trying to break through and then you're told, well, you are the one that's going to break through. And then people are disappointed when you're not playing or they're disappointed by any decision that you make to the point that there was a period of time when, you know, people didn't talk about Michael Chopra. I, I used to report on him and I'll speak to people about him and say, yeah, but he he's rejected his ethnicity. And that always like stuck with me. Like, why are you saying that? Because an 18-year-old kid wanting to try and kick ball and actually be, you know, try and make a career. He's finding this pressure, is getting this pressure on him, but we're saying that he's t- turned his back. Um, and then a few years later, Michael Chopra changed, didn't he? He he, um, he became more open about wanting to play for India. He went out to meet um, uh, Bob Houghton, who was the manager at the time, played in the Indian Super League as well. And I guess he was a bit more confident in his uh, in talking about his his, his cultural heritage and, and everything else but wasn't so much when he was a child uh and again now we're talking retrospect here but there was the uh in, in what you were asking there was this uh attention on him and then when he just rejected in in a sense then he was no longer on the, on, on on everyone's lips especially in the community
1: Okay, interesting. It's, this is something, again, I know there's lots of things we keep saying we'll revisit, but both in terms of the community side of this and also the commercial side of getting an Asian player through, it's definitely something that we will come back to in future episodes. Okay, so now I'd like to introduce our guest for this week. Okay, Kevil, have you heard of Carlos Cuesta?
3: Carlos Cuesta? No, I can't, I can't say that I have. <laughs>
1: Okay, no worries. Carlos Cuesta is one of the Arsenal first team coaches. I believe he's number two to Arteta, and he's never played the game professionally.
3: That's interesting. I mean, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but yeah, that's, that's interesting to know. So he hasn't played a single professional match.
1: I'm pretty sure he hasn't. So, I mean, having said that, I don't think Jose Mourinho has. Arsenal Wenger didn't play at a very high level either. I'm not sure that Klopp did either. So. So, do you think you can study and become become a top football coach, top football manager? Do you think there'll be a university degree that will teach you how to do that?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I don't see why you can't become a good football manager just because you haven't played the game. I mean, management now isn't so much. This is my opinion from what I've from what I've read, but management now isn't just about you know understanding the game, creating tactics, and making players play a certain way. There comes a whole new level of management now where you've got to understand players emotionally, psychologically, um, manage their their physical wellness through sports science. Like Footballers now are more human than they ever have been, and they all have increasing needs. And I think to be a top manager now, you need to have added dimensions besides just being able to understand the game and create a a style of play or philosophy so yeah I, I completely agree with the uh the idea that you can become a good football manager without having played the game to a professional standard
1: okay why have i asked that question i hear you ask
3: <laughs> why have you
1: asked that question i okay so <laughs> yaya hello welcome to
0: our show how you doing very smooth um a very smooth way to introduce it, to be fair.
1: Okay, so ev- <laughs> everyone, please meet Yaya Patel. Now, the reason I mention it, Black- yeah, Blackburn. Yaya is currently one of the academy coaches for Blackburn Rovers Ladies. But interestingly, he has studied football studies at Southampton University. So, first of all, welcome Yaya. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me
1: as well. Yeah, no worries at all. So, firstly, we'll we'll come back to Blackburn Rovers, but can you just talk to us a little bit about football studies? How you got into that? Why you got into that?
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, so, obviously, growing up playing football, played football in uh, in the white leagues. So I was probably one of one of two Asians who used to play in the grassroots football back then. And to be honest, I just had a lot of family support. So my dad was a massive, massive football. Uh, football fanatic, whether it's playing, watching, however you could get involved, he would be involved. So obviously, naturally growing up, he had me getting involved there. Where did you grow and up, sorry? Uh, Blackburn. Blackburn. Yeah, so up north, uh, closer to Kasim than we are to you boys. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I just, just carried on playing football from there, went into refereeing, and then went into coaching, because obviously the age groups are different. 14, you can start refereeing, and then 16, you can start coaching. And obviously it was just a natural progression. So as I was looking through UCAS, I saw football studies and I thought, so surely this car, this not car exist, found it, booked it, opened it, drove down to Southampton. And yeah, that was literally it. But it's really interesting because it's a holistic style of teaching football. So it's not only football coaching, it's got the business side, the sociology, the psychology, the globalisation of the sport, if you want to go into like director roles. So it's really interesting. And then we have some really great guest speakers who turned up at the university as well.
1: So when you went there and so you went for the open day, you came across this, how did they sell it to you? What did they say that you could do with the degree afterwards? Uh,
0: To be honest, I have to say the the selling points were really good. So obviously in terms of the exposure you have, the opportunities you have to work with the saints, uh, like the community, uh, the amount of job opportunities that they've created both in England, Europe and globally. Uh, all around the world and also just the in-depth uh, lecturers that they had who could who were actually really in uh, not only theory but application as well. So for that it was a really big selling point it was almost <laughs> and the slogan was um, bringing your dreams into your future and obviously because I've been in football and I was working in football anyway it just made more sense to do that than just do the generic sports coaching just for the sake that I knew it was coaching when I knew I could go directly and that like uniquely into just football, which is what I wanted to pursue my career in,
1: yeah, yeah, a couple of questions that we ask everyone on the show first of all, if you don't mind, what is your ethnicity?
0: yes, yeah, so Indian, so the parents are from India, obviously, I class myself as British Indian, okay, cool. What football team do you support <laughs>
1: Manchester United okay, interesting, right, um so you said you I mean, Blackburn, to my mind, has got quite a good mix. So you said you were one of the only Asian players playing through as a youngster in white leagues. Was, is that because in Blackburn, Asian teams keep themselves and play in their own leagues? Or is it just they're mixed and therefore you've got small numbers throughout?
0: Um, in terms of demographics, obviously, uh, South Asians within Blackburn is 23% of our overall population of 118,000. And of that 12% is Pakistani, 13% Indian. So to be honest, they're really cohesive communities. But and at the moment, a lot more South Asian teams uh, are playing and competing in the grassroots league. But again, I don't think it's something which felt welcomed. So you'd still have your, for example, your your leagues which are not um affiliated with the FA, where you'd have South Asians playing. However, you wouldn't necessarily have them joining Sunday leagues. But I just I feel as if it was People didn't feel welcomed. Secondly, people didn't feel as if um, you could reach out to the communities where the games where white teams were usually training, because it's very insular the way Blackburn was. So obviously, from the times of diaspora when our my grandparent come over to my granddad come over to Blackburn, you're then housed in a very South Asian community, and that's how we just created these South Asian communities where people would stay together, and through that, people I just personally don't feel uh, people felt comfortable. Or welcome to go into other communities to join teams.
1: And what sort of teams did you play in as growing up? Were you playing in Asian, predominantly Asian teams, or were you playing in
0: in white teams? No, no, I, I played for a white team throughout. So I just played from one team from when I was six up to when I was sixteen, uh, just a grassroots, white, uh, white, predominantly white, just myself through South Asian in the team. Uh, that's what I played. Obviously, then we used to have school teams. um, which was again predominantly white. I was the only Asian playing in that one as well. Uh, however, you'd have like the Moss leagues or the South Asian leagues where you just have a random tournament during the holidays, Easter half term. My dad would always try getting the the lads who I go mosque with to set up a, and he'd set up a team, drive us all down. And that was only the only time we really celebrated Asians in football was when you'd have your half term and there'd be a tournament where it's hosted. And everybody would turn up. Obviously, it wasn't uh, centered around. You can only be South Asian to play, and quite a few teams used to join in actually. But used to be joining in, and then after that, even if there was any good players, nobody would ever get called or asked. It'd just be we play, played against South Asian teams, and then off you go, kind of thing. And it used to be funny because sometimes the South, the white teams would get a bit shocked, you know, when you they actually saw good South Asian players, and um, yeah. Is, um, I think it knocked a few preconceived ideas the first few tournaments did.
1: Okay, interesting. Going, going back to the degree for a moment, because one of the things that we've, or that is commonly said, is that Asians want to focus on education and the careers that you can get out of education, such as medicine and law, etc. Et um, how were your family about you studying football?
0: Yeah, no. My mum and dad and my sisters, to be fair, like we come. My sisters are from an academic background, uh, got really respectful jobs. Um, however, I've always been into football. My dad's totally supported me, and so has my mother. Cause they've always had to sacrifice a lot of time. And and I know Kevin will know. Obviously, playing football and it's not as if I played at any level such as this, But on a weekday when you're when you're missing mosque, and then your dad might be working at times. My dad was working like two three jobs. And it'd be like my auntie would come and pick me up. And then both my mum and my auntie would take me training, wait for one and a half hours and then drop me back off. So they were always into, they were fully invested into me and football from the start. So for them, it wasn't anything which was going to be, on like something which was not, obviously it doesn't conform to society, societal um, expectations, especially in South Asian communities. But it wasn't something which they they kind of felt was a problem. They said, if obviously, if it's something you want to do, and you're going to give your 100 percent and it's a career which you want to enjoy in life, then it's definitely something you should you should pursue. And even throughout my university, 100 percent behind me, to be honest, if it wasn't for family and parents, I don't think I'd ever have pushed it as far as I have. Um, so, yeah, t- to be honest, any credit out of myself would be a credit to my parents and my family before it's any credit to me.
1: How did you find the course in terms of the, the the ethnic mix of the course? Was there was there many Asians on that? Were there many Black people?
0: Was it? Yeah. So obviously predominantly white. Um, we had quite a few uh, Afro or Caribbean um, students from London, uh, from South London. So I made a lot of friends there. And again, that was something new to me because uh, within Blackburn, there's not many Black people that you meet. But within South Asians, there were two, three, two, three of us. Um, But there were some who actually come from India. So there was myself who was British and then two, three who were from India who actually uh, travelled all the way to Southampton to study. And they were doing either the football and business rather than just the football studies. So their plans were to obviously get the degree and then to go back or to go somewhere in Europe and um, work for a club uh, from the business side rather than from the actual coaching side. Yeah. Yeah. What was your
3: in, like initial motivation to go and to go and do football studies at university? Because obviously, like you said, there's a lot of preconceptions that our parents or, our, you know, um, ancestry can have about, you know, pursuing jobs in sport. What was it that really drew you to, to football and said to yourself that, I've oh, listen, I want to have a career in football and I want to be maybe not necessarily a manager per se to start with, but just have a career in football. Was there something that really drove you towards
0: it? I think it's just my exposure to football because I've just been exposed to football growing up. Obviously, playing, coaching, even having paid coaching roles. Um So it was just one of them things where it was just natural for me to go into pursue. If I was going to pursue a degree, it just felt the right degree to pursue because mm-hmm. I, it was something that I wanted to give, get, gain in order to um, give back to the community and just to give back to football. To be honest yeah and I just just on that, because we're talking about jobs, and
3: i'm I'm obviously you know applying for jobs at the moment, and we that's something that we've discussed about um in previous podcasts about applying for roles at football clubs as Asians and how how challenging and how competitive these roles are. What was your application process like for the role that you you got into at Blackburn? Could you just talk me through that process.
0: Yeah, so um obviously just application form with experience CV. So the original role that I applied for for Blackburn Rovers was the performance analyst. Um, obviously, because I had quite a bit of background and knowledge into it from a degree. So it was just the normal application. And then from that, they sifted it. And then it was an uh, invitation to an interview. Mm. But I also had to do a presentation. So they told me, pick a team, do an ana- analysis report, a scouting report, as if you were going to play them next week and present that to us as if we're the management. Yes. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's what that's what I had to do, um, which was interesting But again, it was something because I was around football study students Mm. who were also as, um, who were really committed. I was able to present it to them before I went to my actual interview. So it put me in good light. But again, even with the jobs, I think that was probably one of the reasons why I went. And I think I was a bit naive in thinking, obviously, because you see all this BAME diversity. I thought maybe this is the perfect environment or the opportunity of the climate of BAME to go into it. I think that was a bit more naive than uh, than it was in when you get into the reality of football is difficult like you said and obviously sometimes with applications there's a lot of nepotism so it's what you know and who it's not what you know it's who you know sometimes mm-hmm. in football as well isn't it so yeah
3: what have your what have your early experiences because obviously you're you're a, a young asian manager now managing at a, a, a one of the oldest clubs in england it's a massive club blackburn right the women's team as well which is a great achievement already um at the start of your career what 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 are your aspirations moving forwards then with this, and what what's your early experiences been at, at a club like Blackburn as an ethnic minority and Asian Asian uh, employee?
0: Yeah, um, obviously, because due to working in the academy of the uh, for the Rovers uh, RTC, so for the girls' side, the one thing that I'd mention is obviously the female football has obviously had a lot of barriers in its way. The FA cancelled it for around seventy years mm. or fifty years, so. Again, with female football, I feel as if they have a bit more empathy and understanding for ethnic minorities who are also playing because they've almost been in that uh, ship of difficulties and barriers, um, not being part of the hegemony. So it is a bit understanding. Obviously, you still have your issues having to explain you're not going to come for your end of season to the pub or you're not going to go to same restaurants if they don't do vegetarian food. But again, to be honest, like, at university, I was working in the university female football team. And I feel as if it is more um, more open and more welcoming than the male's game. Because the male's game always been dominated by white males. Um, obviously, with the female game, due to the lack of emphasis and investment that's ever gone into, the, uh, into British female football, you're more likely to be heard. You're more likely to be respected, even with your knowledge. Because you have all the knowledge. But just because of your skin colour, it's difficult for people to actually accept what you're saying. Um, mm. But with female football, I've just found it's, it is slightly different. Obviously, I still think there's negative connotations from your skin colour, the way you look or your beard. But I think it's more welcoming than, than the men's game is. Um, yeah, in England.
1: Was it So was it straight out of university that you applied and got, got a job as a performance analyst at Blackburn?
0: Yeah, I was actually grateful. So I got offered the job before I actually finished university. So I had a few months left and I got the job come out, got offered, done the interview. So I was offered the job before, before I even graduated, which was obviously a massive bonus. And um, yeah, just since even from the interview and since it's always been my aspiration of just continuing with my football badges. So currently on my UEFA b which has been stopped or with, not withdrawn, but just withheld at the moment due to um, the COVID situation. Um, But, yeah, it's just been to to coach and to get into the coaching background, obviously, which I had and just try to build up and keep going up the ladder. I guess sacrificing as much time as required and just trying to make the most out of the opportunities that that you're given.
1: Okay, just before we leave university behind for, for good, I think you had quite an interesting final dissertation, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I think it's um, it's a good one if you want to go to sleep at night. It's probably worth opening. You get past the acknowledgements and you're probably falling asleep. But yeah, obviously, so in regards to South Asians in football, obviously something I hold very close to my heart. And um, hopefully, I'm hoping the people who have read it is help make a bit of a contribution, or at least provide them with some knowledge which they never had previously into South Asians within British football. And the barriers that they face.
1: Okay, do you want to give us a, a little summary of the, some of the key takeaways from it?
0: Yeah, um, obviously football existed ever since colonialism, so football is not something which has been introduced to Asian people when they moved to England. Um, secondly, there's a lot of institutional racism which people feel and there's still, um, obviously I know we talk about a lot about COVID racism, but overt racism, um, all my participants that I studied uh, had part of my research I've whole highlighted that they've come across um, racism or they've experienced racism both white and Asian uh, and to be honest the, the truth is that I just found that there's as much as we praise changes there's not enough changes because I'm hearing to say some of the players some of the participants are saying when you look at it and you take a step back it's no different 20 20 years ago as it is now and some of the players who have played with experience in the Premier League, Obviously, I don't want to give away names. Uh, they highlighted as much as it's progressed, it's still there. It's just that racism has got smarter, so it's harder to call out.
1: Okay, you mentioned colonialism. So, just quickly, when so when did the British take football over to India?
0: Uh, so it was obviously at the time when the East Indian uh, Company went across and um, to England uh, to India, creating the word "loot," uh, which was obviously not in the British dictionary before that. Um, So we're talking around the late 18th century. Um, So late 18th century going into the uh, 1800s um, where they really set set themselves, uh, started obviously dividing India, uh, getting uh, getting military stationed everywhere around India. Um, So yeah, that was around 1800s. So obviously when football was first, made from all the uh, private school uh, public school students at that same time once they bought uh, affiliated it in the UK it was at that same time that they brought it over into India
1: what did I read in your in your article so you think there's still a bit of a colonial hangover in in India in terms of how they they view football
0: yeah I just think even in England to be honest I think um, I think if we if we all actually looked at it and Try not to have the issue of um, accepting that, yeah, we might not necessarily have the same platform or the same opportunities in this country, we'd realise that there's a lot of them. Um, we have a bit of an inferiority complex and it's definitely a colonial hangover that we have. Obviously, I know we've beat, I know the platform's here to praise South Asians in football, but I just don't feel it would do any justice from what I've read and what I've learned and what I've experienced if I didn't speak about slightly the darker side of the game. And um, obviously, from the participants, I do think that we do have an inferiority complex. We won't necessarily speak up when required. A lot of things will just brush off as humour, because we know if we call it out, we're the ones that are classed as um, the troublemakers. So, yeah, I just think it's an inferiority complex, which we've faced uh, since, since moving over. Yeah, hey, you make a really good point
3: there about the inferiority complex, because, you know, we've spoken in previous podcasts about young asian men and women being socialized into feeling oppressed or feeling like victims and to an extent that's true in in institutions but also i think yourself and other guests that we've had on in the past are great examples of what asians can achieve in football when they you know drive past these barriers and really innovate themselves to overcome anything that's kind of in their way and it allows them to to gain great success and achieve great things or great positions like you have yourself. So I just wondered you know when you've obviously applied for this role at Blackburn and maybe you faced discrimination from other institutions in the past I just wonder what your kind of mindset is to deal with those those challenges and adversity that you might have faced in your early career so far.
0: Yeah to be honest just nothing's unexpected now so I don't see anything as Oh, that was unexpected. Uh, you just got to realize that there are always going to be barriers, and like, obviously, uh, I was careful. I was listening to one of the uh, previous podcasts with yourself, and I believe it was just Apu, and obviously talking about how things change and people are more likely to accept people who look like themselves. So I just kind of accept it, and to be honest, I'm proud of my identity. Like I'm Muslim, I'm South Asian, and I'm brown man. <laughs> These three things are non-negotiable, and I'm proud of it. But the second you start realizing that. There's a second you can start being yourself. You're not having to lay, put around three, four layers of who you are just so it sounds as if it's acceptable to for who you're with. So for me, it's just accepting that, yes, there is going to be barriers, there is going to be racism, you you go, You are going to face discrimination, but you can just do what you can control. And I just try, wherever I can call it out, if it is to be called out, I'll call out. And the way I see it is, obviously, if we can all try helping plant the seed of the tree which we're never going to sit in the the shade of it's something which is just going to benefit our society and definitely Mm -hmm. like the asian community don't have to go through things which we're having to go through now yeah i love that i love that
3: apu
1: right so how how did you go from performance analyst to the to become a coach at blackburn rovers ladies
0: yeah so i made it quite clear to be honest from the interview and i think this was one of my one of the things which made it really desirable to get me, because obviously I had my level two, uh, which is the minimum requirement to work at the RTC at the foundation phase, and I said to them, obviously as a performance analyst, I don't only really want to be somebody who's showing you videos or showing the players clips and trying to explain it. I'd rather actually go out on the pitch with these clips and coach it to the players, or at least assist and coach and help the coaches how we can um, integrate both the videos and the classes. Into the actual sessions, and so I made it quite clear that whenever there's an opportunity to go into the coaching, I'd love to take the opportunity. And obviously, as it goes in football, one person leaves for another job. There's an opportunity open, and obviously, I just put put myself out. Then I said, I'm happy to go for this. And from there, I just got it covered. So again, it's one of them. Like especially if there's anybody listening who's at university or in the football career, if you've got an opportunity to get a certificate or qualification definitely go for it there's no point waiting or thinking you might not be qualified or you might not have the experience if you feel competent you've got to go for it because otherwise these qualifications and these courses get filled up really quickly and once it's filled up you might be waiting another year and within that year you've realized you're competent and you've missed out on three four opportunities of jobs just because you don't have the qualifications
1: okay and so we've We've talked, I mean you've mentioned or you've hinted at facing certain issues, etc., in football. Have you come across many coaching the girls' team as you do? Or I mean if this is if you can say If, if you if you can't say then or you'd rather not, that's fine. But in terms of your role, we had Manisha Taylor before saying that sometimes she'd take her team to games and all, all other teams would come to them and they'd assume that she was part of the, I guess, the either the cleaning or the catering staff or something. So, I mean, that's obviously sort of more discreet, etc. Um, have you come across any issues as such with the coaching the, the ladies?
0: Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I did. I'd be lying if I said I've gone across um, to any clubs where they've not seen me as a coach. Um, probably because of the uniform. Um, but yeah, there, there are definitely microaggressions or you definitely see some passiveness, passive questioning of like possibly my race from parents. So obviously when they see me, they probably think, yeah, he's, he's just one extra person He might be on, he might be doing work experience or something. And then I'm there putting out the cones and I'm leading the session, the warm up and I'm giving the tactics out. You can't quite, you, you do realise and you know. And obviously, again, I know it's something where you say, how can you notice something if you've not heard it or somebody's not physically said it to you? But I have in the, back, in the background heard voices, like heard the passing of taking everything. Because obviously, first, they think it's just cricket. And now they feel as if football is the one thing which <laughs> is untouched by anybody else besides, obviously, white people within it. And then here comes the South Asians. And I think from corner shops to takeaways, and now you've come into football as well. Is there anything you won't give it a rest? And I definitely have realized that, like, I have recognized where parents look at me and then it'll be, How are you doing? You okay? Good afternoon. They'll be like, Oh yeah, how are you doing, mate? You're here for the football. And you just think, why else would I be in a rover's kit? <laughs> Walking with footballs and a and a bag full of cones if I wasn't here for the football. So I definitely noticed it. But um like that to be honest, that's like I find that as one of the compliments rather than anything which I see as like taking anything away. that. If that was the worst that we had in football, that'd probably be, be, be a good day of football, to be honest.
1: OK, so my memory of Ewood Park, I've only been there once, was it was pretty much in the town centre. And any people I did see walking around were predominantly white. Whereas we've mentioned before, certain football clubs I have or are in ethnic areas, etc. What are Blackburn Rovers doing in regards to, or are they doing anything at all to try and encourage more, more the minority communities to come in and visit and support the first
0: team? Yeah, for the first team, especially for the men's, they do have a few um, initiatives and incentives. So obviously they've got the, um, the diversity and equality officer, uh, and he's somebody who's actually really into the South Asian uh, community in football because I've worked with him uh, for a South Asian club, uh, just putting sessions on. And so now he's got that role. So he gives out tickets. Uh, and to be honest, the, the Rovers, um, the owners have tried to increase participation. Uh, the The stadium's got a prayer room. So, again, I don't know how many stadiums in general with all over within the leagues. Have prayer rooms for members to, for spectators to go and pray in at half time. So they definitely do try to bring it in. Again, I don't, it's the commercialization of the game as well, isn't it? Like, in order for a club to make money or a team to make money, you do want to get all communities in, especially from a spectator point of view. Because if you, if you give out a free ticket, that's a child, possibly a brother and a sister, and a mom and dad coming to watch the game. Now, if you can get them attached to that, that's a, that's a full kit for two kids. That's possibly trainers from the club store that they buy in. So again, it's a, it's, it's a really commercial, commercialised uh, incentive. Um, but obviously it has the opportunity for South Asians to actually come to the club and obvious, obviously be accepted within the wider society of football.
1: You mentioned the owners. Now, Blackburn Rovers famously, <laughs> their owners are the Venkis, who are Indians. How much of a difference is, has that made any difference? I, I know there was a lot of controversy at the beginning. Fans were refusing to go. I don't think it's to do with the fact that the Indi- owners were Indian at the time. it was just how they're running the club. But w- what sort of impact has having Indian owners had on the way the club operates?
0: To be honest, um, I couldn't quite tell you how, what impact it has had in terms of how the club operates. Because obviously within the female football uh, we i as a coach i don't have much contact with the Venkis or how the actual total operations goes so i wouldn't be able to answer that if i answered that i'd be answering it without having full knowledge um obviously like you said when they originally came, it wasn't as if uh fans were the uh, they were they were enthusiastic when they originally bought the club but obviously as as a few seasons went along um impatience uh, was probably the description of rover's fans at the time but obviously being implied i don't want to I wouldn't want to say too much more. But again, now we're back in the Championship and I think everybody's got the same intention of trying to get back into the Premier League. Um, But yeah, I couldn't tell you quite exactly how the operations work because I haven't haven't really experienced or been exposed to much of the operations at, at Ewood Park.
1: Yeah, no worries. I guess, to be honest, from what I can gather, I think they're using it more for the commercial side rather than than anything else or wanting to be Asians or Indians in football. So, okay, fair enough. Um, Kev, we we'll any questions from you at the moment.
2: I had a question about um, when you're playing grassroots football, you said you're the only South Asian player playing for uh, white teams, right? What was the perception from your friends, uh, you know, who are South Asian about you playing for those teams? And did you ever try to encourage them to kind of step out of their comfort Zone Like you mentioned, you played in these tournaments, uh, but did you ever try to get your friends to step out of their comfort zone to play with you or in, in the league that you were playing in?
0: Yeah, it was always something that we'd invite them to come towards. But again, obviously, a lot of teams train on a weekday and due to most commitments, not many parents, obviously being the first generation of diaspora at the time, were, were looking to invest in their child going to training. When they've had school, they'd rather send them to mosque. Um, and I know Kasim did slightly mention this last week as well in regards to the Asian community. He has to do more. Don't have to have to do more, but at the time there was the education wasn't there, and obviously the commitment to the mosque was the biggest priority after uh, after anything else. Being in England, so not many of them actually wanted to come. But obviously knowing that I played for a white team, it was something that actually like it was one of them things where you kind of thought you were, you were the. You're the big don of football, like you know when you go into when you go to play in the park with your South Asian mates, and you say, oh, I play for I play for a white team in football on a Sunday," and that's it. You got to go, You get to you get to shoot the penalties <laughs> instead of having to go in net or chase the footballs. But yeah, like again, like for the community and mates, it was always something you looked you looked up to. But it was never something that you looked up to and tried grabbing. Like everybody knew their roles, and it was like they knew their parents aren't going to allow them to train on a weekday to go in or. They don't have the money to pay for the club. Um, Obviously, like your weekly subs and stuff like that, they wouldn't afford it because obviously, Blackburn still to now is one of the top 10 most deprived areas in England. And obviously that is is difficult at the time for parents, especially when half-broken English speaking, actually getting them or driving them to go to the clubs to play or to train at. I was going to say it might be different, obviously, coming from a London background where you've got, your Green Street, so you've got your areas where it's heavily dominated with South Asians and you're probably having to mingle more and you get to see different cultures. In Blackburn, it was very separate. Is You have your Asian communities, you stick in your Asian communities, you go to the town, everybody's nice to each other, whether you're white, brown or whatever, but then you all go back to the same areas. Like on your Fridays and Saturdays, the you'd go to play your pool and the white people would go to the pub. And you might cross each other because it's within the same vicinity. But other than that, it was never anything of, yeah, let's. It wasn't. It was integrated, but it was never integrated to the level of where let's understand how we can join into your opportunities. But at the same time, I don't think clubs wanted South Asians to join into their opportunities because it just felt as if it'll be, it was somebody lurching on your back, um, having to having to drag somebody across all the time. Um, so yeah, it's uh, again it might be different because in London. You might just have the exposure a bit more, but how was it 10, 15 years ago? Did you have many South Asians playing in the grassroots leagues for white teams, or did that, was I that think also non existent?
2: In terms of London, the, what you described is almost atypical what happened in London as well. Because London, in terms of being a city, you think it's got a progressive outlook and there's opportunities being in a melting pot that you can meet other, other communities and other cultures. But predominantly from when I was up, coming up, I live in East London. You mentioned Green Street my in my school it was predominantly Asian my college was predominantly Asian it's only when I went to university that I was in the vicinity of you know other cultures uh, and predominantly white culture as well but i would say that most people who live where I live right now is almost akin to what you've got in, in Blackburn it's predominantly an Asian community you've got the Asian shops why would you why would you go elsewhere because you feel comfortable here and I think that's that's part of it. It's a comfort factor and you only ever step out if there's a need or necessity or, in my case, uh, whether it's for work or just the, the friends that you've made from, from other parts of town. Um, but yeah, it's interesting what you say. I think there's a there's a thing about cohesion rather than integration. Cohesion, like we get on with each other and we have a mutual respect, but we very seldom step into other people's worlds and realms. Um, and I think by and large, I think a lot of people are like that, regardless of of what background they're from or what culture they're from. I think you find comfort in the people you're with. But on that point, it's about having common goals. So if you're into football, uh, we've had you know Asian teams that play in white leagues here or would be predominantly white leagues. And some of those players would filter into the other teams but by and large it's, it's as you described it's it's not a huge transformation that you'd be like well this is somebody something different but again we're in a concentrated area where there's a lot of Asians I think if you went to some parts of England where you have a small Asian communities they'd have no choice but to be part of the wider community that exists there we just happen to have a predominantly large Asian community and we all kind of just ended up together and there's a comfort in that i was just i was just going to speak
3: about um i was going to actually ask Yahya about the um oh christ i forgot my question i have to edit this out <laughs> what was i going to ask him um i'm
1: going to leave this in because you and z both sound more intelligently
3: <laughs> oh i completely forgot my question now you put me on the spot i had it in my head and it's gone oh that's so annoying <laughs> I, was, I was actually on on what z said as well about integration as well i feel like if we are looking at the, the the grander scope of society now and going beyond football a little bit as well it is it is very clear that the the distinctions between different cultures in our society are becoming ever more prevalent now and I think Z touched on a very important point where we all do have common goals in that you know whites Asians and blacks all want to achieve great things in sport but if you look culturally at the divisions between us, we don't really integrate in each other's cultures and that's where the divisions come from and that's where, uh, as you like to say, Apu, about these kind of unconscious biases or barriers come from. I think moving forwards, particularly in sport, if we can just focus on the fact that we all have a common goal of wanting to become professional footballers or you know, developing a career for ourselves in the game that we all love, I think the barriers between our cultures would be minimised significantly. I feel like, in today's society, we have a massive emphasis on the divisions between our cultures and the divisions between our races and why we're different. But we never actually talk about what unites us and makes us equal. And that that's where these issues come from.
2: Just on that point, Kibble, like you're 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 in a football environment at the moment, uh, and, and so is Yahya, right? When mm. you're talking to people from different cultures and backgrounds, but you're talking about football. There's a point where you're all colorblind, aren't you? Because you're talking about, if you're talking about the game or you're talking about analysis of a players' performance, you're talking about football football point of view conversation and topic, right? And a culture part and the race or mm. your background doesn't come into it. It's about the conversation that you're having and the level of expertise you have in that conversation. Uh, do you think that if we were to spend more time talking, you know, we mention about common goals, if we were to talk about Football, particular aspect of football, like your your player and and, and you are you as a coach. If you talk like coaches and and players, that is a, a chance for us to break the perceived barriers or preconceptions that I guess other cultures have about about South Asians when it comes to football. That we do know, we do know how to speak about the game. We don't know how to talk about the game from an analytical, but also from a recreational perspective as well. Absolutely, I th- I think the more and this
3: that's why this podcast is brilliant because we're we're discussing. The, the nuances and intricacies of football, not just racism in football, but just our knowledge of football in general, because we've all been involved in the game to some extent and we have a decent knowledge base about how the game operates, right? And I think to put that on display for people to listen to is a, is a great advert for Asian understanding of the game. Now, I'm not saying that my knowledge of football is better than a professional who's got 25, 30 years experience, because that'll be, that'd be naive. I mean, if you if you've got experiential knowledge of playing the game, that's always going to give you a certain degree of advantage when talking about the technical side of the game. But absolutely, to break these stereotypes and barriers that Asians don't know what they're talking about in the game is definitely going to help our uh, ability to integrate within the system already. And I think we are we are seeing it with with black coaches at the moment as well. There was a perception maybe 10 to 15 years ago that black players didn't have the knowledge or black coaches didn't have the knowledge base that white coaches do. But now we're seeing lots of black coaches who are qualified apply for these roles, and some of them are getting them um, for, for through various channels and methods. And I feel like Asians could go down a similar route where if we can display our competency and break these barriers and stereotypes through our knowledge and through the way that we speak and interact with people in the game, that will give us a better opportunity moving forwards. And that's why I'm, I'm so heavy on the, the non-victim culture that we... We are faced with barriers, but we as people have the choice, as Asians have the choice to overcome these barriers and put ourselves out there and make ourselves vulnerable to say we're not going to lay down to the barriers that are in front of us. We're going to push through them and we're going to be successful.
1: It's quite interesting talking about talking about the game and displaying knowledge, et cetera. How many Asians are actually involved in sports journalism? And the media, as in, obviously it's not huge numbers, but there's a, there's, there is a decent number of them. So I think hopefully one, that's one of the things that will help moving forward. So Yaya, in in regards to the staff set up at Blackburn, are there many Asians
0: there? Um, so in the female game, so in the actual females from first team all the way down to the end of 10s foundation phase, I'm the only South Asian at the moment in terms of coming across people who are South Asian in the northwest, because that's where obviously we play the majority of our friendlies. So, um, United, Liverpool, Sheffield, I've not actually come. I've, I've come across a black technical director, but other than that, I've not actually come across anyone who's South Asian, bar one who was, um, yeah, Sheffield as an SNC. But that's the only person I've actually ever come across within my two two and a half seasons at the club. Seeing any of the South Asians, but at, at Rovers at the moment, no, I'm the only one. Uh, last season there was two of us, me and SNC, but he's um he's gone elsewhere now. Okay, and in regards to players, <laughs> no, not no no South Asian players uh, who are female. Um, again, come across one, one possibly two who was at Manchester City, um, in the whole in the whole of the Northwest. But even when I went up to Warwick where we played against, so it was everybody, so all clubs from around, so. Uh, from south, north, east, west, everybody's turned up at Warwick to play last season, and again I probably come across yeah two, and I'm talking from the under-10s all the way up to the the 16s two South Asian players, um, in female in the female game, um, yeah, which is obviously kind of disappointing. I know you obviously uh, saw the tweet this week of the South Asian girl, uh, Berton Albion, but again, it's it's very small and. Again, we, we can celebrate one person and make it sound like a thousand people, but I think we need to be quite... Like, as a as the FA and everybody in general needs to be quite honest as to why. I think I know some of the reasons why South Asians don't get into the female game or South Asian females are in football, but it'd probably be nice to hear why your lot's views are on why there's little South Asians in males, but I wonder why there's South Asians females so little.
1: Just before I, I ask Z. You tell me, what, what do you think? Just list some of the reasons
0: you think there are. I think societal ones, definitely one. So obviously, um, South Asians, in terms of what you're wearing or how you're going to be perceived in the greater community, it's almost like David Beckham, uh, Ben Delight Beckham, how how are you going to be seen? Another thing, obviously, is um, the masculinity of the sport. Like, we can't deny that there's a, there is some form of masculinity to football or perceived masculinity to football. So again, that's something which I'd question. Um, and obviously just do families, are, are we, are South Asians, as, as South Asians, are we at a stage where we can accept females into football? Because usually, it's, if we can't even, ex- if there's still society, within the society, communities who can't accept males can actually go into football as a career, and I know kevel explained that to his grandmother when he was going through the football. i mean, are you going to take it seriously?" Like, so can we really expect South Asian females to be, as from communities, to be accepted to go into football? I, I think we're quite a few steps away from that yet, to be honest. It's interesting you say that, yeah, yeah.
3: But um, I'm doing some consulting at the moment, uh, Apu, for a, uh, a women's academy side, and. I know Yahya said there's no, um, or maybe one or no South Asian players in the academy system, women's academy system at at Blackburn. But with this side that I'm consulting with, I would say there's one or two Asian players, South Asian players in every single age group. And it's really interesting because now that makes me believe that there might be a geographical difference in um, societal acceptance for uh, women or South Asian women in football. Is there is there potentially a difference then between London London South Asian family acceptance uh, Midlands and Northern acceptance? It's really really interesting.
1: Kevin, if you sorry, Kevin, if you if you can't name the club, can you name the area?
3: Uh, no, I can't. I can't name the club.
1: So you just broke up there. All right, I can. Can't I name can tell club. you they're
3: doing some fantastic
1: work in terms of. No, no, the area. Can you not just vaguely? What no, talking I, can't, about?
3: I can't. name. I can't name the area either. It's, it's
1: London, it's, Southeast it's, Midlands. Just vague geographical area, so we can vaguely pin it down.
3: Um, they, they are below. They are below the Midlands, but they are above the South Coast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's fine. All right, fair enough. That's all we're going to get out of you. Um, So, Z, what are your thoughts on what Yaya has just said around the lack of numbers of Asians in the academy system?
2: I think, Wiz, when it comes to uh, females in, in football especially, we're seeing a change widely with the professionalism of it. We've seen a huge investment from the FA with the Women's Super League, the way it's packaged and it looks commercial viable now. We're seeing more matches on the mainstream channels as well, and there's that, there's a change happening on that front. That could be a catalyst that's going to encourage not just the South Asian females, but I guess just females in general to get involved in football and in organized football as well. Um, there's 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 no answer to say what that, you know, what what's gonna make a change or what's gonna bring about that fast tracking of change but we, we I guess from my perspective we just want to keep highlighting the one and hope that turns into two and ten because even with the one there's a journey that the person's gone through and we've had Minisha on the show previously talking about her journey in the game and that's one person's perspective but there's definitely when you look when you look at journeys people resonate with certain aspects of someone's life Uh, And the more we can highlight and talk to these individuals who are in the game or, you know, even say 10, 15 years ago where there was a couple of uh, Asian women in football, one of them who inspired the film Ben Beckham. if we talk to them and understand their journeys, maybe that's something that could inspire the next generation or even the current generation to get involved in in sport. And if they show a bit of talent that can reach out and meet the standards that's required, we could see more of them coming through, but it's not uh it's not one particular reason or one answer that could could solve that. Yeah, the reason I was asking you is just because I know
1: you've highlighted you've highlighted some Asian females that are playing football in, both in this country and in Europe as well. So I I guess I thought that there there was more in the pipeline. I'm led to believe that that there is, but there's
2: there's, there's, uh, there's a point that I mentioned before there 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 would be players in the pipeline in terms of what you just mentioned, in terms of academy football. But again, you know, the chances of going from academy to making it in the first team, just by and large in general, is difficult as it is. So we want to say there's a, there's a pipeline coming through, but then there's players that we may not be aware of. Um, I'll give you an example of uh, a player called Aksar Wastak, who's currently playing for Napoli in Syria. She was at Bradford City when she was younger and then went off to America on a scholarship. And on conclusion of that scholarship, then got a chance to move to, to Napoli. By going to, on a scholarship to America, she's not in the academy system in the UK. But then there's still that uh, pathway that she's been able to go on that gets her uh, into professional football uh, on the women's uh, scene. So the, when, I, when I talk about with, with these journeys, the more we can talk about those journeys, the, we might get a few more who are inspired by it, or even walk that path that we don't know of yet. Just because they're not in the academy system
0: doesn't mean you
2: know, they're, they're not there right
0: now. Can I just quickly plug as well? Um, uh, she was at West Ham. I think she's just left. Uh, she had a pro contract, 24 years old for West Ham. Uh, Rosie Kamita, so there two, two twins and she was playing for West Ham. And obviously, she's South Asian heritage, like South Asian. I think it's her father who's South Asian. Um, so again, she was somebody who played. But again, I can't tell you, I can't speak about female experience in football because I've never been a female, and I've never been a female in female football. I've only coached it.
1: Yeah, Rosie Kamita, we'd we'd love to get her on the show. Maybe we will one day. i was trying to remember the name of the lady who Bendy like Beckham was based on. I did hear an interview.
2: It was Permi Permi Duty.
1: That's it. Yep. Um yeah I think she's she's abroad now doing something not related to football right so not sure how easy it would be to get her on but we'll give it a go Okay so Yaya what are your what are your hopes and ambitions tell us where you would like to be in in 5 years and 10 years
0: Uh yes obviously in 5 years I'd like to see see myself having completed my UEFA B Hopefully my UEFA in five years as well, to be honest. I'm um, just working in elite football full time. I'm um, trying to get to the highest, highest, highest levels. And obviously, like Kasim said, it's it, it's a pyramid where he, uh, th- there's not necessarily ladders. And if there's ladders, there's no rungs. And if there's ladders, there's already somebody on it. So it, it, it is a difficult thing. But yeah, like, like anything that obviously South Asians have always had that spirit of, if you can reach it, try reaching it right to the top. And in football, it's no different. Um, obviously, I know there's barriers, but yeah, I'd like to be in the elite game, whether it be male or female. Obviously, I've invested a lot of time in female football, just at the elite level, um, competing full time and uh, hopefully making a change or at least being able to speak up for, for our society or our community and hopefully speaking fairly and doing it sincerely, probably the main thing, just the sincerity and in, in trying to make a change for our community probably really important as well hopefully you boys can um, pull me out if it isn't at any stage wherever it is in my career uh if i'm not being sincere but i'd like to think i'd be sincere in changing our community because again it's it's generations which we might never meet there's generations who might who might change even politically uh just how how we live in england so it's really important it's like who knows who the next muhammad ali of football who can be the muhammad ali of football if we don't give them the opportunity or we don't create the platform for them to be there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Can I also say a big thank you to you as well because you've been very supportive of the podcast so far, and you have put me in touch with loads of people who hopefully will get on in near shows in the future. Can you? I'll, I'll put you all your details up for your social media links, etc. Yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for having me. On.